titled my sermon this morning, uh, What Defines Us, basically. I'm going to talk about the life and the legacy of, of Caleb, a person we don't hear too much about uh, in the Bible, but what are we as uh, Radiant Life Church going to be uh, known as, especially as we, we start, if, if I want to say something new, a new chapter in the life of our church, basically, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited about next Sunday and to see how God leads us through this whole thing. I really am, uh, like, uh, like I was sharing in the meeting last, uh, after service last Sunday, we prayed about it, talked about it. We just want to bless Bless the church. It's not about us. It's never about us. It's all about Him. About Him and His kingdom. Amen. What do we want to be known as? And what is, if you want to say, as a church, but also our, our own individual lives as such? What is, if you want to say, our legacy that we want to leave behind What are we called to do and called to be as such? We always, you know, we always say we need to start off right and everything else, but it's also about finishing right. You know, because there are a lot of people, the Bible, and we know people who've started with so much fire and so much, you know, energy and so much, all this passion. But as time goes on and life happens and everything else and they just die down. But that's not what we want to be known as. Someone who started strong but finished, I don't know where, didn't finish actually. Caleb is someone that I look at with that perspective and see how, how he made it through. He made it through. You got to realize and understand Caleb's story started all the way in Egypt as a slave actually. So he knew what it was to struggle in life. He knew what it was, what hardship was. He knew what it was to be the one who was oppressed. He knew what it was to be whipped or whatever as a slave. He knew what it meant. He saw God's absolute miraculous deliverance and everything else. And as we come to the end of the story in the book of Joshua, we see that he finishes strong too. Finishes strong too. We're talking about getting the right perspective on things as we go through our life. And as believers and as church, uh, I got to start off by saying, and it's common. I mean, if you've been in the church long enough, this is something you know. It's something you got to believe and be convinced of is that God has a purpose and a plan for my life and for the church. You've got to be convinced about that. You've got to have that conviction. And how many of you believe that wholeheartedly this morning? That God has a plan for your life. Amen. Think about that a minute because you probably haven't thought about it in a few moments. I don't know, a few days, a few weeks. I don't know. Because we've just been going through life. But go with purpose knowing God has a purpose in my life. If you firmly believe that, you also got to know that as much as God has a plan in my life, I have an enemy who is trying to destroy that plan. It's just reality. That there is someone who's out there trying to throw something my way that will slow down God from accomplishing 
His plan and His purpose for my life. And we talked about this briefly last week too. Can't, we cannot go through life thinking that, you know, now that I'm a Christian, everything's going to be just this, you know, just this ride. Yes, we will. We will. It, it, it will be a great ride with Jesus. But following Jesus is never, ever going to be something that you can do, you know, as, as a second thought, if I want to say. Yeah. It's not something you can do with the leftovers of your life. You can't do that. You've got to start and you've got to finish, finish strong. And I think, you know, when Jesus says, and I love that verse when Jesus says, you know, he came to give us life and to give us life, what? He talks about abundance of life. Do we really stop? And I want you to take time to think about it. Do we really live life in that abundance which he has promised? And abundance, I'm not just talking about having a lot of stuff. God created, us, created Adam and Eve. That was the whole purpose. He said, hey, go and enjoy this life, basically. Not frivolously, with responsibility. But do we as Christians really live our lives like that? Because abundant life is life without fear, basically. You know, without that anxiety and that stress that dominates us. It's a life with no condemnation. I find that a big, if I can say, more and more relevant in the church right now where we have so many people living in church, following Christ, but have this sense of condemnation on their lives the whole time. That's not what the abundance of life that Jesus is talking about. That's not what it means here. I want to really encourage you, church, to seek and earnestly seek God's plan for your life. Earnestly seek God's plan for your life. And it starts basically by reading his word. Because that's the best way, most reliable way he speaks to us. I know some people go running from one prophet to another prophet. But they use prophecy as what are you, fortune telling. You may as well open a fortune cookie that way. Open the word and read it. And God will show you and reveal his plan for you. Anyway, turn with me to Joshua chapter 14. Talking about Caleb. Caleb's been in Egypt. He knows what slavery was in Egypt. He saw and he saw Moses come in there. He saw probably knew Moses growing up probably. You know, they were almost the same age. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. But he was sent away and he comes back really. He was a young man. When Moses came and he led Israel through, I mean, out of Egypt, he saw all the signs, that miraculous deliverance, and he saw the whole Red Sea parting, and, you know, and, and it is pretty, I mean, the whole deliverance through the Red Sea very often is, is associated with God's deliverance and salvation as such. So it is symbolic of freedom. And so we have Israel going all the way, walking around uh, through through the Red Sea and going, heading into the promised land. And of course, they go stop at Mount Sinai where God gives them all the commandments and everything else. And God prepares them basically to go and take this land that he has promised Abraham, the promised land. Land flowing with what they say, milk and honey and everything else. is theirs for the taking, but we know what happens to them. Because they choose not to exercise their faith, they are left to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Wow. 
Turn with me to Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through uh, 15. And now I'm reading from the NIV. It says, now the people of Judea approached Joshua. This is after. Okay, they want to run for 40 years. And then, of course, Moses passes away. Joshua becomes the new leader. And Joshua leads them into the promised land. Then they, they have around, probably around five years. They just basically conquer all of, the, of Canaan and everything else. And Joshua ends up settling all these tribes and everything else. Allotting all these lands and everything else. And it's that time that Caleb comes to him. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, I don't know how you say that, but the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 45 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Love that part there. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, we're saying, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, when Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was back then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron became has, uh, sorry, so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, whatever, the Kenesite ever since. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. And then it says, then the land had rest from war. Then the land had rest from war. Now one thing that hit me uh, really strongly uh, uh, this time as I was reading the whole story of Joshua and everything else. And you come to this point in, in, in Exodus and Numbers where they're too scared to go into the promised land. And what hit me again real strong this time was that God never intended for the Israelites to take on the Canaanites on their own strength, in their own strength. Never intended. All they had to do was to step out in obedience. Take that step of faith and go across the Jordan and then see God's power work. Never intended for us to take on life and life's problems. The giants or whatever you want to say in our own strength. So quit trying because the one thing it will do when you try on your own strength is it will bring fear 
and mainly practically, you'll just get worn out. Rely on God's strength. Rely on God's strength and don't face life. You're never called to live life on your own. Face the things that the life throws at you. Anyway, it's just a great, great reflection of the life of, uh, of Caleb as such. God saved them out of Egypt. They're so scared and, you know, they still don't want to go in. And then God, I think one of the reasons, one of, one of the other reasons was, you think about it, they've got comfortable in the wilderness, you know. They've been there. God's given them everything. They've taken so much money from the Egyptians and everything else. You know, they've got everything they needed. They're really nice and cozy around Sinai. Why not just hang out there? You know, they don't want to, why go fight some more people? You know, why? And I, I can easily think about people saying, okay, he did so much to the Egyptians right there. Why can't he go and send all these plagues to the Jericho and Canaan? And then we'll just go in and enjoy ourselves after that. You know, just because God worked in your life one particular way, doesn't mean he's going to work that same way in every time, every situation either. Sometimes, yeah, when you're down and out, you're a slave. He comes through, fights for you, sends the plagues, you get deliverance. But soon enough, you are strong enough to get out and face the giant yourself in his strength. Okay, so don't always say, God did it that way, now he's going to do it again. That's not going to happen. Anyway, they just refuse to do that and we know what happens there. Moses sends these 12 spies out and two of them are the only ones. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones who are willing to say, hey, this does not matter. These giants don't matter. Nothing matters. We can go in there and take the land because this is what God has promised. But we know what the 10 others do. They go around and they discourage everybody. Turn people against Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron himself. And they actually think of stoning all four of them actually at that point. And you realize there, let's, you know, Caleb and Joshua had to pay a price for something that they did not do. How many of us go through life sometimes and we pay a price and say, God, I really didn't do anything to deserve this. But they had to pay a price for something that they really did not do. Three things I want to look at in, in, in Caleb's life, really. Three things that I feel God is calling us to and something that we need to leave as a legacy and something that we as a church need to be known for. Because it's a decision that we make not just one time to follow Christ. It's a decision that we've got to make almost every single day of our lives to follow Christ. Somehow we've come into this understanding and, you know, I said the sinner's prayer 20 years back and that's it for me. Now I'm good. Making it to heaven. I'm not saying that's not, I'm, I'm not going to judge who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. I'm not saying that. But the point is about daily following Christ. It's making that decision every day. Today I get up, I'm going to serve the Lord. That's what it's about. Anyway, the three things that I feel. Number one, you see in Caleb is his commitment. It's his commitment. One of the keys to his success is found in these verses at least three, four times actually. In this passage it says he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. 
There was no, no, you know, I'll do it today. And I, there's no riding the fence as such. We do this a lot, actually, in today's world. And I don't know if I've, a few months back, I heard this whole phrase of being a flexitarian. I don't know if I've told you about that one. What's a flexitarian? No, it's actually a person who eat. he is vegetarian, but sometimes he eats meat. So he's a vegetarian. So he's a flexitarian, apparently. So I'm like, okay. He's a vegetarian, but he sometimes eats meat. So, yep, essentially, that's the world we live in because we don't want, if you stand up and stand, if you are single-minded, and I heard this in the radio this week, if you are single-minded, you will be singled out in the world we live in. You will be singled out when you're single-minded. God calls us here and he says, Caleb, serve God wholeheartedly. Look at verse 8. It says, the bottom part, he said, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Amen. Verse 9, right at the bottom, again it says, of course, the land and everything else forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Drop down to verse 14. It says, so Hebron and everything else was given over to him because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. In fact, the statement is repeated when it comes to Caleb and the word whole, this whole phrase of being wholehearted. Six times in the Old Testament where it mentions Caleb following the Lord, his God, wholeheartedly. Now following doesn't mean you know, you're following from a safe distance. You know, you don't want to lose track, so you're following from a safe distance. It's not that idea that it paints you. The idea it paints you as someone who's pursuing after something and closing the gap when it comes to that. That's what it's talking about, following God wholeheartedly. It's running after something and you're closing in on what you've been running after. Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly we need to be and be challenged by his life to follow God wholeheartedly because that's what he calls us to do too follow God and every day you need to be, you need to be inching closer and closer and closer to him that's what it means to follow God wholeheartedly you're closing the gap getting closer to God please do not ride the fence when it comes to God Please don't ride that. You know what, what he says to the church in Laodicea? You're either hot or you're cold. Because what happens if you're not? He's going to throw up, basically. Yeah. It makes God sick when you don't make up your mind. Amen. You're either in or not. That's it. God calls and Caleb's legacy is one of following God wholeheartedly. I want us, I want to challenge us to, cha challenge us to follow God wholeheartedly there is no going back there is no turning back I always I love the example and I don't know if it's absolutely historically true but they talk about how Julius Caesar when he's uh, coming into the coming and taking over England you know he comes to the island and as soon as they they make they get into the beaches and everything else they get over and get over they turn back and they see that he has burnt out all the ships He's burnt the ships that they came back in because there was no retreating they had one way to get out and to go through that's how we need to be when it comes to following Christ. We cannot hold on to baggage that's there just in case. Okay, you know, if this does not work out, I still have this that I can work on. That is not following God wholeheartedly. 
you're either in and totally in and no going back at all. I don't know what's hold, what's what you've got back there. I always use again the example of my uh, best friend up in Washington, John Landis. When he decided to follow Christ, he realized that the friends he was hanging out with, he couldn't hang out with anymore. And so he made that hard decision. He said, you know what? I can't. When I'm in there, they're pulling me down. So he made the decision to cut them off totally. I mean, yes, he's still friends with them, but he chose not to go and hang out with them as much as he did. He rather started, and that's why his desire for God grew so much. He was a new Christian, and so he kept going. One Bible study to another Bible study to another Bible study, and he just kept growing like that. But he realized that things in this world cannot have a hold on you anymore when you really earnestly pursue after God. Total commitment. That's what he's calling us to today. He's called us to conquer Canaan. But you cannot. If you keep thinking about your life in Egypt, you will never go conquer the promised land. And that was their problem. They always thought back, oh, you know, it was so good out there. Even though we were slaves, we had this, we had that. If you keep thinking about what it was at the back, that you enjoyed back then, you will never go to where God wants you to go. It's for you. If you have an escape plan, like I said, you're never going to be really committed to Christ. Many people want, you know, what's this next step? Okay, I've decided to come to church and start following Christ. What is the next step? Follow Him wholeheartedly. Get into His Word. Spend time with Him. Spend time with Him. I want to say this, and I say this with humility, and I hope you understand. Again, hear my heart through this. Please don't expect life tomorrow to be any different from today if you are not willing to follow Christ wholeheartedly. Again, I say this with humility, but I got to be brutally honest because don't blame God and expect this next step to be any different than what you're doing right now if you don't follow God wholeheartedly. Oh God, give me, you know, I need this break. God, give me this break. I mean, the whole idea of commitment, the whole idea of wholeheartedly is making Him a priority in your life. That's it. Making Him the number one priority. Spending time with Him. Spending time in the Word. Spending time in prayer. Paying your tithes faithfully. Oh, there He goes again. Talking about money. I don't care. Make church a priority. You know, I have, I've had so many people who, who argue with me because they get so frustrated and discouraged and stressed out because everybody else seems to be getting that break, getting that blessing as such. Everybody else. And I'll be honest, I used to be uncomfortable preaching something like this because it challenges and confronts people. But I find so many people, the more I pastor the church and more, I think nowadays, more than ever before, more and more people wanting to enjoy the blessings and the favor of God, but are not willing to follow God wholeheartedly. Yes, Amen. Oh, I want this house and I want this car. I want, I really need this job. I want that promotion, you know, but all that just passes us by and we get frustrated. And, and, and here's what we think. If I only work a little, this is what the world sells to us and we buy it. If I only work a little harder, then I can get that. That's not, that's not the point really. 
And you say that and you work and you try so much harder and nothing really changes when you work so much harder. So what do we do? Blame others. Blame our parents. Blame the situations we grew up in. Of the church's fault. I was talking to someone. This is funny. Just was it Monday or Tuesday. I was talking, just having a random conversation with someone. He's like, well, I don't go to church because they're full of hypocrites. Full of hypocrites? I said, no, that's a lie. There's always room for one more. <laughs> he was like, oh, he thought it was funny. He didn't know I was sharp that way. But I was like, you kidding me? What did you, if you find a perfect church, I remember this long time back. If you find a perfect church, please don't go there because you'll ruin it. You know, we blame the church and people in the church and we ultimately blame God for the experiences that we are struggling with in our life. Come on, people. It's just common sense. I'm not preaching condemnation here. It's just common sense. Do you really or do I really have the right to be mad with God when I have not given him everything? Do I really have the right to be upset when I haven't followed him wholeheartedly? I don't know. You can answer that question. Again, it's not about condemnation. I mean, you talk about tithing too. Let me say I may as well. I'm, in a, I'm, I'm on a roll because I said this to a friend. I won that six-figure job. And he says, you really think, and I just, because I know him well, you really think God's going to give you that six-figure job and you've not been faithful with the thousand he has given you right now? Why do we expect, we expect, we think God owes us stuff. We can do whatever we want to do and God's going to bless us anyway because that's his grace. Yes, he has grace. But let's not be idiots, I guess. Come on. I'm sorry, but... You just got to realize it's common sense. I would never give. I mean, teachers out there, no Raven, and I would not give a person a hundred if he turns in a blank piece of paper. Why would I? Now, why do we expect God to do that for us? I don't give him. I just give him a half. You know, it's eight-page paper. I write four pages. Yeah, God, you're not blessing me with a hundred. Come on, it's just common sense. Commitment, wholeheartedly. You're either in or you're out. Because you ride that fence, it will knock you down. And when you get knocked down, you will hurt. Just pray and hope, God, you fall on the right side of that fence. Amen. Wholehearted commitment. That's what Caleb is about. He followed God wholeheartedly. Today, make that decision. Whether you're in or you're out. I have a lot of respect for people. I was, I was at this restaurant and I had this server out there. And talking about how's the service. And my, 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 my cliche lines are, hey, service was great. There's only one thing better, and that's Jesus. Have you tried him before? I've said that so many times. It's so corny, but it works. But then she told me, she was honest, and she told me, you know what? No, I really don't get the church thing, and I don't want the church thing right now, you know, and this, this. And, and it was an honest conversation, but at least I knew, hey, she knows which side of the fence she's on. It's okay. I pray God will send someone else there to draw over to the other side. But you got to decide which way you're going to be. That side or in the world or with God. Follow God wholeheartedly. Let's keep going. Commitment means, simply means making God a priority. Honoring him. You know, when I give him the 10% of my income, that's honoring him. When I give him the first portion of my time, whether it be in the day or, you know, my time in the day or in the week or whatever. I'm just saying, God, I honor you. That's why I'm giving you this time. doesn't matter what time of the day it is. I honor you. That's the way I show that I honor, honor you. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples, if you want to follow me, what? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And he knew. They knew what it meant, really. 
Because the cross meant one thing. It meant death, but they were willing to take it. Follow God wholeheartedly. Follow him wholeheartedly. Christ will never settle for less than 100%. Amen. It's your choice. It's your choice. Close the gap. Pursue after him. Draw. I mean, what does it say? James 4 says what? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen. Go in. Press in. Number two, you see his uh, commitment, but you also see his confidence. His confidence. Look at his confidence right there. 85 years old. And he's saying what? Give me these giants right now. Give me that hell country, the Anakites. Give them to me. His confidence is in what? God's word. God promised it back there through Moses. He said I would have it. And I have the confidence that God, he said it back then. His confidence is in God's word. Amen. I can do it. And it says there, not in my own strength. I, he says, just as the Lord helping me. Verse 12, he says, uh, fortified right at the bottom. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Amen. His confidence is in God's word and in God's ability. Amen. No one, and you think about what happened back 40 years back, 45 years technically, when they were scared to go in. God got mad with them basically and said, none of them, none of them are going to go in there. But then he promises, that's one other times you find it in Deuteronomy. He says, uh, because Joshua, he talks about Joshua and Caleb. Because he followed me wholeheartedly, I will give him and his descendants this land. That's the promise he made back then. His confidence was in God's word, in God's promises. And for 45 years, he did not allow that vision, that dream, that promise to die down in his heart. 45 years later, he says, I'm still as confident as I was. I'm still as able as I was 45 years back. He did not waver in his confidence that God, when he promised something, he would do it. That's the confidence he had. Caleb stood up, expressed his faith. You know, God gave, back then he said, you know what? And if you know the story, I'm just the Cliff Notes version of this. It is where? While the ten others were whining, he said, doesn't matter. God is with us. Let's go take that land. Amen. That was his confidence back then in God and his ability. And he has the same confidence now. He says, you know what? I'm as confident as I was 45 years back. Let's go in and take this land. He was confident in God's word. Do not, again, do not give up on the promises of God. Do not give up on the promises of God. And I said this a little while earlier. Especially when, just think about Caleb and Joshua, the only two people who suffered because of the entire nation, basically. You know, think about it. And I'm, I'm sure there were more than those two. I'm sure there were some more people who were faithful like them, who were confident that they could take the land back then. But they all suffered because of the unbelief. And sometimes that happens to us. I can't always give you a reason of why bad things happen to good people. I can't always. But the one thing I encourage you to do is hold on to God. If he has promised it, he will not let you perish before he see it fulfilled in your lifetime. Amen. Hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to the word of God. Look beyond. And I, I, I encourage you and urge you, look beyond the situation you are in right now. 
Look beyond the situation, the circumstances you are in right now. Keep pushing in, pursuing after Christ. Because honestly, faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not being optimistic. Faith is not even looking on the bright side every time. Faith is acting in obedience to God's word. That's what faith is. Be willing and be confident of God's word. Faith isn't just blindly serving Christ. It's being realistic about it too. God has promised us the victory. That's his promise. Please remember, God will always have the last laugh. doesn't matter what you're going through right now. Though the wicked may seem like they're flourishing right now. The book of Proverbs says that. Don't look to them. Because there's going to be a day when God will hold them accountable for what they're doing. Don't keep... Don't beat yourself up by saying, what did I do wrong? Okay? Please don't do that. I've met so many people who always beat themselves up thinking they did something wrong. It's not always your fault. Sometimes it is. It's not always your fault. God is accomplishing something that you don't really understand. And sometimes you've got to wait 45 years like Caleb did to see it being fulfilled. Have confidence in God. Caleb's confidence was in God's promise. He knew God was in his corner. Confidence. You had commitment. You have confidence. And the last thing I want to share is his courage. His courage. He never lacked courage. He never lacked the courage. Courage when he stood up in front of this big crowd who was ready to stone him. He still stood up for God right there. Courage when he, he is basically that, that attitude of, you know, do your worst or bring it on. You know, Paul says the same thing. So what? Do your worst. For me to live is what? Christ. To die is gain. Bring it on. That's courage. He had those naysayers. He had to overcome the obstacles. He had to overcome those people who kept saying no. Those, if you read Numbers 14, these 10 spies who went with him to check out the land. They didn't destroy. I mean, the heat, they discouraged the whole nation just because they didn't say the right things, right? The naysayers in life. What did they say? He says, you know, those, those people were giants and we were just grasshoppers. And they feel miserable about themselves and they make sure to make sure everybody else feels miserable about themselves too. They do that all the time. There are a lot of people in your life that may be like that. They're just negative. You want to do something different but they make sure to tell you that you can't do it. Get away from those people who always say, hey, no, or make you doubt God's goodness. Get away from those naysayers. He had to overcome those naysayers, those well, wonderful, pessimistic people, like I said, who never keep quiet. Please understand, negativity is, is a sickness that spreads just by the way we talk. That's it. We don't control our tongue and we make everybody. We can turn a whole nation against two people. Same way positivity. Don't, I don't know. Don't listen to the people who say you can't do this. Trust what God has told you to do. Stand up to the naysayers. Stand up to the people who say, you know what, we have a small, you know, we're just small grasshoppers. 
Stand up to those people. Stand with what God says. If it costs you everything, it costs you everything. You know, it, it, it costs them standing up to the majority sometimes, right? But he had the courage to stand up against the majority. He had to overcome the naysayers, but he also had to go overcome these giants there too. He still had to go overcome and beat down these giants into submission basically. Overcome the giants, they will be. Overcome the people who are going to drag you down. Overcome the obstacles that are going to be thrown your way. Whatever it may be, God will give you the strength to overcome it. Because when he promises something, he will give you the strength to finish it. He will give you the strength to finish. We're called to be overcomers. We're called to be victorious. We're called what we overcome by what? The blood of the lamb and the power. What? Afar? testimony Amen. we are called the power i mean the word of our testimony that's what we call to be we are called to be overcomers because the battle belongs to the lord we just show up we just got to show up church and god will give us the victory don't let and think about it he's 85 years old don't he had to overcome if i wanted to say it this way his own limitations if you have to do that. 85-year-old people don't lead any kind of army, let, let alone going into battle, really. But he wasn't going to let that slow him down. Don't look at how great, I mean, don't limit God by viewing God through your own limitation, if that makes sense. Because everything you look at, you can look at the giants and say, hey, the giant, and look how small I am. Or you can say, hey, the giant, and see how much greater my God is. It's just a perspective change. Overcome. Don't limit God. Don't be controlled by your own limitation. I want to end with this last verse here in verse 10. He says, just as, uh, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm still as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. I just want that part, that one part there. So here I am today. Now you may say I'm not the most talented, you know, and limit ourselves with that. And, you know, I doubt God can, I doubt God can use me. I've had people tell me, hey, you know what, I got a past. Can God really use me? We all got a past, brother. <laughs> we all have a past. We all have our struggles. I love that song. If you can use anything, God, you can use me. What he's looking for is someone who will stand up, some man and woman who will stand up and say, so here I am today. Amen. That's it. Here I am today. My heart wholly, wholly devoted, committed to God. Confident. Here I am today. Confident that God promised something and he will overcome it. Amen. Here I am today with the courage to stand up. Come what may, bring it on. But here I am today. Bow your heads with me at this time. God is looking for people who, who will say the same thing. 
here I am today. You know this already. It's not about anything else other than being available to God. Here I am today. Here I am, God. Wholehearted. Wholeheartedly. Caleb followed him wholeheartedly. Are you going to stand up and say, God, here I am. I'm not going to ride this fence anymore and pick and choose. But here I am today. Willing to follow you wholeheartedly, God. Please, I, I, I implore you. Think with me again, because I've challenged so many people and I challenge myself too. Do I really have a right to be mad with God when I haven't followed Him wholeheartedly? I'm not talking about following Him without, I mean, perfectly and not making any mistakes. He will, you will have your ups, you will have your downs, you'll have your good days, you'll have your bad days. But God looks at your heart. David, he messed up like a hundred million times. But God called him a a man after his own heart. David followed the Lord wholeheartedly. That's the challenge. And God will always, God specializes in using broken pieces for his glory. There is no life so messed up that God can't use. There is no life that messed up that God can't use. I want to challenge you today. Are you all in? Really, it's... I don't know how else to say it, but I'm not... I'm not portraying something that says you know what if God if, if you give your life over to God tomorrow is going to be everything is going to be bright sunshine and everything else is going to be weird that's not the promise really but he promises his strength he promises you joy he promises you peace in the midst of whatever life throws at you but you have got to decide I'm all in when it comes to God I'm all in. I bought in. It's not just a moment, momentary, you know, piece of like that excited decision I made with all this euphoria and all this emotion. It's not that. I challenge you right now. Think about it. Are you all in? Are you willing to stand up here and say, here I am, God. I am all in. Committed to you. I pray that we will be called, that we will be known. Our legacy will be one of commitment. Doesn't matter what happened in life. He, she was committed. He followed, pursued God wholeheartedly. Confident. I'm confident because Christ in me makes the difference. 
I'm confident because my life is in Christ. I'm confident in His Word. Even if it takes me 45 years like Caleb's did, I'm confident because God promised it and He will fulfill it. Confidence. Yes, you're committed. But I want you to walk in confidence. Not with your head just hanging low. Not with you just all depressed the whole time. Be confident because he who called you is faithful to complete what he starts in you. There will be seasons of doubt. There will be seasons of, you know, you have great successes. There will be seasons of failure. It doesn't matter. Because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on his promise. challenge you once again be confident be confident in what Christ is doing in your heart and in your life seek his word make him a priority if you don't know what your purpose in life is start reading the word thank you God once again he is faithful, church. Let's all stand to our feet and worship Him for a few minutes.